We want to continue to track the woman of Revelation 12 in the wilderness. Now, let me first talk about what the wilderness is before we we look at how she flees into the wilderness. The word wilderness is synonymous with the word desert. Both, uh, uh, it's the same Greek word. It's the word E-R-E-M-I-A, Eremia. And uh, a companion rendition is E-R-E-M-O-S, Eremos. Now, whereas it typically refers to a deserted place or a dry place or an uninhabited place, those are usually secular references, references to physical conditions, but when they refer, as they do, to spiritual references, then something else is implied. A wilderness or a desert or a desolate place, same same concept, can often be a thriving city or a thriving civilization. Consider Jesus saying in Matthew 23, 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and those who are sent unto you, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you, what is the word? Eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S, Eremos, desolate, a wilderness a barren place. Your house is left to you desolate. Spiritually, a desolation means a place where God is rejected. Naturally, it may refer to an inhospitable region and God will often take His people into a wilderness to put on display, as he himself said in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, where he said, I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. And I had you walk in the desert for forty years to teach you this one thing, that in the end it may be well with you. And this one thing is that a man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in a desert place, a physical desert, the absence of water is a common characteristic. In a spiritually desert or deserted place. It's a place where there is no living water, no water that springs up into eternal life. Samaria was such a place. So the woman at 
the well of, of Jacob in Sychar was promised water that sprang up into eternal life, which the one speaking to this woman was promising to give her, although there was water in Jacob's well in Sychar. So this duality in Scripture is rather compelling. For our purposes, you must keep in mind that a desert or a deserted place or a wilderness, all being the same word, has to be understood contextually as to whether the reference is to a physical desert or a spiritual desert. If it's a physical desert, it's an inhospitable place and God will often lead a person there or lead a nation there in some instances for the purpose of having them rely utterly on Him. And sometimes that desert place is a city or even a nation that outwardly appears to be flourishing, but in terms of the presence of God, the glory of God will have departed from that place. So keep those two things in mind as we look at this woman who goes into the desert. Now let's pick up at verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. All right, now that's the first piece we want to consider. She was given two wings of a great eagle. In prophetic scripture, we see that there are four living creatures before the throne of God. They represent the corporate man. One is a lion, one is an eagle, one is an ox, and the other is a man. We see these same four prophetic creatures in the book of Ezekiel chapters 1 through 3 and references to them in chapter 30. And there again is the eagle. Now, the reference within the framework of these four living creatures to the eagle is that of that which soars above and between the realms of heaven and earth. So it is inherently a prophetic picture. It sees from the high places, it sees into tomorrow, it sees into the future, it is the spirit of prophecy. So this woman has been given the spirit of prophecy as she flies into this wilderness. 
Now, what does that mean? It means at the beginning, when she is leaving, uh, having been confronted by the devil as the devil seeks to destroy the child who has come out of her, she's given birth to the Divine One, she's given birth to, uh, in the case of Mary, to Christ, in the case of the, the church in the last days, the male child described here, it's religion and specifically it's Christian religion is this woman who starts off with all the indications of what she contains, crown of uh, twelve stars on her head. So she looks like the real thing, she looks she's associated with Christ because she's carrying Him until the appointed time. You see, that's the thing you must not forget, that the thing that carries the divine intention is given all the accoutrement that shows that it is associated with the divine intention. So when Mary is greeted, the angel greets her as one with great favor and and God sends an angel in fact, the angel Gabriel, to make such an announcement. She was esteemed and highly favored. Why? Because she's Mary? No, because she was chosen to carry the seed. It can't be understated, the honor that was given to Mary of all humanity that she would be the one God chose to carry the Son of God, that holy seed, that is intrinsically a position of splendor, of glory and of honor. And the angel conveyed that to Mary when he greeted her. So the woman carrying the Son is, as it were, clothed with the glory of God. She genuinely has enlightenment and understanding. The history of the church is that it has such glory, enlightenment and understanding, but we must never forget that about the same church there is this stunning, harsh, serious warning of the same church going into apostasy when the generations to whom these incredible things were given have lapsed in their faithfulness and integrity in adhering to the things that were given to them. Paul put it this way, He said, it is imperative that I, who preach the truth, live by the truth I preach, lest I myself become adakemos, a castaway. Now what might account 
for this that is clothed with the woman that is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, which is to say, her glory is superior to the reflected glory of human intelligence. Which is why she gains prominence, by the way, because to people walking in the dim light of human intelligence, the brilliance of the glory of revelation is altogether stunning. Many preachers do not understand that when a way is made for them into the councils of the wealthy and the powerful, it is because inherently anyone who walks in uh, in a secularized version of biblical wisdom commonly faces the issue of being insecure because there's nothing in human wisdom that can actually ground and satisfy and anchor the human soul. This if you believe the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, which sixth and seventh chapter, which says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who entered on our behalf has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It is to say that only when our identity has been firmly established in Christ can our souls be accurately aligned with the perspective of who we actually are as having been determined previously by God. And every human being needs that anchoring irrespective of how much money they have or how powerful they become. That's why they will invite preachers into their inner sanctums, because they want the glory of God to illuminate their understanding so they have some basis of being secure in their accomplishments and in their positions. But preachers foolishly desire the wealth of the wealthy and the power of the powerful. And this is the seduction that begins to be like like wine in the cup that dulls the senses. So we trade the glory of God which naturally covers those who have been associated with the sun, we trade that glory for a reflected glory like the the glory of the moon. There are places like Nigeria where some of the absolutely wealthiest men and women in the country are preachers. And even here in America, we have often seen the foolish position adopted especially by the, 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 those who emphasize finances 
as the goal of their faith, or even those who uh, like, like uh, religious institutions, who think that the closer to the seat of power you get, so you may, your goal then is to become an advisor of presidents in, in America. That was a pattern, by the way, established by the late Billy Graham. And it was one of his most serious faults because access to power became as much what he was about as preaching in his preaching crusades. And both his natural descendants and those who pattern their ministries after him have insidiously continued to seek the approval of powerful politicians and wealthy people. The danger of that is the seduction of the power of wealth. Listen, of wealth and the power of political uh, uh, authorities and, and, and uh, well, power and authority in politics. The present church, and I, I quote Ralph Reed, who was uh, uh, at one time the uh, principal spokesman for one of these groups like the Moral Majority, who said, we want a seat at the political table. We know where that has led? It has led to the evangelical church becoming a subset of the Republican Party. And in recent times, there has been a Christian invasion of the Capitol buildings in the United States. Now, where is all of this leading? It's all leading to the woman who was once clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, whose history was that she brought forth this child, this huias, this male represent, this, this, this um, fully mature son, that when she fled into the wilderness, she fled into that place where although she started out fleeing with the wings of eagles, so she had a prophetic sound to her, the enemy spewed water in her direction, so this evolved into a propaganda war between true prophecy by which she was allowed to escape and propaganda, inventions, uh, false alternative realities, if you like, that the serpent spewed like a flood after the woman. Now, you must notice this, you must notice these things because they were said in the scriptures and they were meant to be unpacked today in this time.
That's why they're being unpacked now. So the woman, verse, verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, to remove her out of her place. Now for a time, it doesn't work because she's yet in the graces of God because she hasn't chosen yet to be a harlot. But the earth helped the woman and opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So painting the church, painting the woman, out of whom the body of Christ comes, painting her in this false light does not work immediately. She herself has certain prophetic grace in her and the earth, this would be, the sound of that was dissipated through humanity, through mankind. Everyone didn't believe it. It was a demonic sound, but the world had not devolved to such a place yet where the demonic had become the norm. But throughout the book of Revelation, where are we moving to? We move, in fact, the very next chapter, chapter 12, we're moving to the great beast of seven heads and ten horns then being rolled out. Until that, there is still a remnant of human culture that has not been fully controlled and co-opted by these systems of the cosmos. So there is still some independence and the earth swallows the flood but it speaks of things to come. It speaks of things to come. What is about to come? There's about to come a little horn which speaks blasphemous things against the true body of Christ and against the the ways of God and this woman will quickly change from a woman clothed with the sun to this thing, the thing being a second beast, not the one with seven heads and ten horns, that's the hegemonic beast that establishes hegemony over the whole earth. But there's a helper there's a helper to this beast. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The point being, it looks like it belongs to Christ 
It looks like it even represents Christ, the Lamb. In fact, the Lamb of the early chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 5, that Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Seven horns implying completeness of power, seven eyes, completeness of vision. This is not that lamb, but it bears a fleeting reference to the lamb. It does have horns and it used to have prophetic wings, but not anymore because now it's speaking like a dragon and exercises all the authority of the first beast. What is that? Means it has become a surrogate of the first beast. And he uses what is left of the power he used to have to practice the same form of deception that the dragon himself practices. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. That's a reference to Elijah and the prophets of Baal who demonstrated that he was a true prophet having come from God when he had the fire come down from heaven, destroy the altar of Baal, burned up the sacrifice and he proceeded to kill the false prophets. The woman moves into the role of this false prophet who is now exercising the power of the beast with seven heads and ten horns and is persuading everybody else that this beast is the real thing. So you've got a false prophetic function here that begins to define the devolution of the woman and we'll next see her in chapter 17 where she's a full-blown harlot and he deceives those who dwell in the earth by those signs which he's granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and hear and cause all to worship the image of the beast who did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now I want to I want to to stop there. We'll come back and pick up on that point, but I want to summarize both now and at the beginning of the next next sequence. So we observe this transitioning. Because you see, nobody is allowed to simply be neutral in these times that are to come either or of Christ or or you are 
of the evil one. And God is insisting that such a a, a separation occur. That separation in Scripture is called the great falling away. And that's what I want to focus next on when we come to it. We'll talk about it next time. Blessings to you. I'm Sam Solon. Bye-bye.